I'm, I'm really glad to be here this morning, and I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad that God's here. Yeah? We sang earlier um, a song about God not walking out on us. If I was God, I would walk out on me. God has not walked out on me. That's why I'm here today. Yeah? I am here this morning by the grace of God. I don't mean that in a big, general, wide sense that that's true. I mean like this day. God's grace brings me here this morning. And my wife. Anybody thankful for God's grace? God doesn't walk out on us. Genesis. Um, it's an amazing story, isn't it? We're unpacking it over these last number of weeks. And this morning we come to Genesis chapter 6 through to chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at the flood. And I want you to look at this narrative and this story, and I want you to see through this story what is in God's heart. God has a heart, and we're going to get looking into his heart, and we're going to see key things. Before we begin to read scripture from Genesis 6 through to chapter 9, um, there are a few things I want to Say, I think I need to clear some rubble out of the way that could be potentially stumbling blocks for you to really engage with this story. The story of the flood, Noah's ark, animals, the rainbow, suffers from over-familiarity. We see it often as a nice story. The animals went in two by two. It's rubbish. <laughs> Cuddly animals, a nice ark floating on water, and a rainbow. And we even decorate our children's rooms with Noah's ark. This is not a kid's story. This is not some ancient version of Bambi or the Lion King. This is much more akin to 28 Days or contagion. This is one of the most horrific moments in Genesis. The human experiment, if you allow me to use that phrase, is spiraling out of control and self-destructing. And the only solution open to God, apparently, is to wipe out humanity. Save for one man, his family, and some animals. It's really important this morning as we engage with this story, that through this story we see what's in God's heart. The second bit of rubble I want to clear out of the way is this. The story of the flood, I think, suffers from modern over-analysis. We are tempted, are we not, to read this story as a scientific account, arguing whether it was a global flood or a local flood, working out as people have done, I kid you not, the cubic measurements of sheep, giraffes, and other animals to see how many could get into the ark. And I kid you not that one gentleman, God bless him, has spent time working out how big the poo pen would be in the ark. 
I think if we go down that road, we're missing what this story is about. Would you not agree? This story shows us the heart of God. And as we unpack it, please remember something we said at the very beginning of this Genesis series. Genesis is not ammunition for arguments. It is food for daily life. And I'm hungry this morning. Anybody else? Let's feed. The flood, seeing what is in God's heart. There are four things that we're going to unpack from this story. We'll see that in God's heart there is pain. We'll see that in God's heart there is justice. We'll see that in God's heart there is grace. And we'll see that in God's heart there is a covenant. That's where we're going. Coming with me? Let's go. Genesis 6 to 9, there are so many verses that if I read them all, we would still be here for the World Cup final. And I don't want to do that. So I'm going to take selective verses. Bear with me. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 1, and then we're going to read verse 5 through to verse 8. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These first verses give us an insight into God's heart and quite stark and perhaps almost a surprise. There's pain in God's heart. Have you ever watched with almost unbelief as something gifted, blessed, and precious self-destructed before your very eyes. Such was the case with deep love to all Brazilians. <laughs> of an evening never to be forgotten last week. I watched that match and I was going, let me tell you, um, Chico, where are you? Okay, there he is. <laughs> Chico, I had planned in wearing tonight my Brazilian shirt with Ronaldo on it, but something happened last week. And I watched, and, and I watched those Brazilians as before their eyes, something precious and beautiful self-destructed. And I watched the pain in people's hearts and the emotion and the grief. And I watched the days following as an inquiry has been demanded, who is to blame? And I've watched 
on TV reports, as Brazilians say, who will be the savior of Brazilian football? They haven't called me yet, but... <laughs> Do you remember how this incredible book of Genesis began? God, majestic creator, loving God, as it were, sitting in the best seats in the house, looking down on all that he has made, and he said, it is good. And then God creates the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. And he looks down and he says, it is very good. And then God watches as humanity hits self-destruct. And sin comes in and alienation takes place. There are lies, lies in God's world. There is murder. There's violence. The spiral is downward. Verse 5 of what we've read, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And the Lord God looking down on his human race, now several, several centuries old, he only sees wickedness. God looks down and nothing is hidden. We've thought about in recent days how increased security at airports will be in place in an effort to detect anything that some people with evil intentions might hide. There's nothing we can hide from God. And he looks down on humanity and he sees every thought, every intention, and he says it's only evil. Humanity is self-destructing. I had coffee this week, as is my want, in Starbucks. Not publicizing Starbucks, but if you're from Starbucks, take that one for free. And there was a sign Over two billion cups of coffee are consumed every day. Two billion cups of of coffee every day. Why? Because there are so many of us who like coffee. Guys, we sit with a world population of over five billion. Have we any idea how much sin that is? Have we? And God looks down The population has increased from Genesis 6 and we have not got better, have we? And God's heart breaks for the sin that he sees. Sin that he sees in the UK. Sin that he sees in Scotland. Sin that he sees in this lovely city of Edinburgh, sin that he sees in me, sin that he sees in you this morning. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings and his heart was deeply troubled. The word that is used there 
of a troubled heart of God is the idea of deep, heart-wrenching, emotional pain. God's heart is breaking over the sin of humanity. Tell me, as you read this story and you get to this low point in humanity's story, are you not surprised that when God sees such wickedness, are you not surprised that we don't see, first of all, anger? Is that not what we should expect? And God would be right, would he not? But the first thing the writer of Genesis says is that God's heart is broken. I know of a girl who was um, a teacher in Dublin, a girl called Sharon, and she had a particularly difficult class of 12-year-old boys who were just totally wired to the moon in terms of behavior, really difficult. And in one of the RE classes, she asked these 12-year-old boys, and she gave them, I don't know, Play-Doh and whatever else, and said, I want you to create a world And I want you to put everything into that world on your desk, all that's good, all the things that you enjoy. And the guy started to do it. And they created their little world on their desk. And each boy spontaneously put around his world a little fence. (laughs) And in the little world, it each made little kind of morph men. And the teacher said, what's the fence for? And they said, it's because this is good. And if they get over the fence, it's bad. They'll fall off the desk and they'll get squished. And Sharon said, what would you feel like as creator of this world if one of your little morph men climbed the fence and ran for freedom? And one boy immediately said, and I'll not say the full quotation because it would be a swear word. I would squish his head. I can understand that. That's a human reaction. I am so thankful that God's first reaction is a broken heart. And he weeps over my sin. And over the sin of humanity. He could squish us. But first his heart breaks. As he feels the pain. Of the rebellion. Let me just suggest something to you this morning. As a follower of Jesus. I think it's right that we as Christians. Should engage with issues that are current in our society. And that we should speak with a Christian voice. But I've been challenged by this this week. Before I talk of righteous anger because of X, Y, and Z, should I not first have a broken heart? Should I not? And how quick we are to get onto a righteous anger bandwagon and our hearts have never been broken. May God help us to have broken hearts because of what we see 
and not just go down the righteous anger roads. There's pain in God's heart. It's not the only thing. The second thing is there is justice in God's heart. I'm going to read further into the story in chapter 6. Here's the continuation. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. So make yourself an ark. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Let's just pause before we read the next part. I want you to feel something of this weight of what's happening. This should upset us. This should weigh heavily upon us. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth. And all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals And the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that can move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. There's justice in God's heart. And because there is justice in his heart, that leads him to act in a way which this chapter describes as a way of divine judgment. I want you to hear my heart this morning as I go through these next verses. This weighs heavily on me, but I have to be true to God's word, okay? You with me? I'm not interested in being politically correct. I want to share what God says. It may offend you. I pray it won't. I pray you'll get over that offense and that you'll see the grace of God that saves and the grace of God that keeps. 
but we need to think about divine judgment. Divine judgment means punishment. God is a creator. He is the one who sets the standard for his world. And he has the perfect right to judge as he sees fit. Francis Chan, God is the only being who is good and the standards are set by him. Because God hates sin, he has to punish those guilty of sin. Maybe that's not an appealing standard, but to put it bluntly, when you get your own universe, you can make your own standards. That's God. That's how big he is. And I dare not lift my fist at him. He makes a universe and he sets the standards. And when God judges, he judges totally justly. The punishment always fits the crime. Matt Chandler, the universe shudders in horror that we, that's humanity, that we have this infinitely valuable, infinitely deep, infinitely rich, infinitely wise, infinitely loving God. And instead of pursuing him with steadfast passion and enthralled fury, instead of loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, instead of attributing to him glory and honor and praise and power and wisdom and strength, we just try to take his toys and run. Do we get a glimpse into the greatness of the offense of sin against God? We rob him of his glory. We take his toys and we run. And as our offense is great, so the punishment is great. Would would you tolerate a judge who was not just Is there not something in us, because we're made in God's image and reflect his heart of justice, is there not something in us that cries out for justice? Have we not all, I I hope with broken hearts first, have we not all watched the self-destruction unravel of Rolf Harris? And it got to a point where I didn't actually want to watch it as I felt for him and his family. And yet, is there not also in us something that says justice must be done? People have been abused. There must be a punishment for this. And so it is with God. Sin must be punished. And God says, I will wipe of the earth, every living creature, apart from those in the ark. Divine justice means not just punishment, it means a warning. This divine judgment that unfolds before our eyes as we read this should make us stop in our tracks. It should put a holy fear of God in us, should it not? that we would offend 
God's question for you this morning. You ready to put your hand up? Is there anyone here this morning who is sinless? That's all of us. And our sin demands punishment. We need to see the warning in this. Out of a broken heart, God moves to judgment. This is not good news. Can I tell you something? There is good news. But the good news is even greater when you grasp how bad the bad news is. So hang in with me for the bad news, okay? Good news is meant to invade dark places, isn't it? We're going to get there, but don't rush. You've got to grasp this, the warning. And Jesus later in the New Testament and the Gospels talks about his day when he will come back. And he says, there's a day coming when I will return and I will judge the earth. And just like in Noah's day when people just thought nothing was going to happen, so it will be in our day. Hear the warning. Don't assume on God's grace for tomorrow. God's grace is promised for today. Now is the day of salvation. There's no promise for tomorrow. The warnings. Divine justice means hope. Hope of salvation and hope of justice. Okay, we've gone through some heavy stuff. You with me? I want us to start to unpack the hope of salvation and the hope of justice. Would you say those two phrases with me? Hope of salvation, hope of justice. So if the sentence is from holy God that we are sinful and we should be punished, who will save us? Can I save myself? Jings, I can't even get the number eight bus into Edinburgh without getting lost. I can't save myself. You can't save me. The culture around me can't save me. Please hear me. Religion can't save you. Jesus Christ alone saves. There is the hope of salvation and the ark is to point us to something that God does, provides, and sets there. And we'll think about that later. Jesus is the ark. Hope of salvation. Hope of justice. Hope of justice. Here's a verse from Deuteronomy that's really helped me this week. Deuteronomy 32, where it says, God is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. I want to make this very practical and very real. This hope of justice. This hope of justice, I don't think I'm the only one in the room this morning who has known what it is to be hurt by injustice, am I? I'm not alone.
I'm not the only one to cry out to God, God, bring justice into my life because it's hurting. And you might say to me, divine judgment and a God who judges creates problems and questions. Can I suggest to you with love and tenderness that if you do not believe in a divine judge, you have greater problems? Because when injustice and hurt hits you, you have no intellectual argument against them and you have no emotional defense if you don't believe in a God who is just. But when you believe in a divine judge, and when your loved ones are treated unjustly, when they are lied to, when accusations fly and slander is made, the natural reaction is to be angry Vengeance is mine. No, it's not mine. It's God's. And I have to trust that. I believe that God and a belief in a God who is a judge and who is just brings me the emotional defense I need in this life. There is a judge, and it's not me. His name is Yahweh, God. This hope of justice, let me unpack it in two ways. This hope of justice that we have if we are followers of Christ and saved by Christ, let me use the expression, in the ark. If that is us and we're following Christ and in him, then we know that there is a day coming where ultimate and total justice will reign. Yes? And that's where we're going. And one day God will put right all the wrongs we have experienced. That hope, I tell you, that hope has so burned in my heart and in the heart of my family over this last months that it is a rock to stand on. And I know some of the messy stuff we're facing one day will be sorted and healing will come where there has been hurt. But I also pray, God, may your kingdom come now. God, bring justice now. God, show justice in this situation today. the hope of salvation and the hope of justice. Third thing is this. You with me? Yeah. Two more things to go. They're going to be shorter, all right? And then these guys are going to come back and lead us in worship. Third thing is this in God's heart. There is grace in God's heart. Chapter 6, verse 8, 3 to 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. I love that verse. You almost stumble over it in the darkness of judgment. It shines out. Noah found favor, Noah found grace. 
There was grace in God's heart for Noah. And there is grace in God's heart for you this morning. How do we access that grace? How does that grace become ours? Honest dependence on God. God, I'm messed up. God, I'm struggling. God, I'm hurting. God, show me grace. The God who doesn't walk out on us. God dealt with Noah according to grace, not according to what he deserved. (laughs) Have you any idea? Do you know how many people would be here this morning if God had dealt with us according to what we deserved this week? Nobody unsigned. All respects, Pascal. (laughs) Nobody on multimedia. Bless you, Billy. None of you in the pews. They're not pews, they're seats. Nobody. God deals with us according to grace. You can find grace in God's eyes just like Noah did. What struck me was that that grace that he found then made him live in a way that he stood out from his culture. Blameless, righteous, and walking with God. We love to be grace receivers, don't we? Please don't be a grace abuser. Your grace should transform how you live. You live righteously, blamelessly, and you walk with God. Fourth thing, we're going to land. There's a rainbow. Hey, do you like my my loom thing? What's it called? A loom band. Yeah, do you like it? No, you don't. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) I like it. Okay? It's a bit like a rainbow. I'm going to finish with a rainbow. This loom band was given to me by, I need to recover the way I put this. Mandy knows this, okay? So don't jump to conclusions. This girl, this band was given to me by a girl in Largs, okay, who was six. And Mandy was there, okay? (laughs) And I thought it would be good to wear it this morning because we're going to finish with a sign of a rainbow and a covenant that's in God's heart. Let's go. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life 
on the earth. We've seen in God's heart the pain. We've seen his divine judgment that sin must be punished. We've caught a glimpse of grace in the life of Noah. And now we finish with this covenant in God's heart. And I guess the question is, as we finish in this chapter, is, okay, God has dealt with sin justly. He's punished sin. He has saved those who are in the ark. The question is, what's tomorrow going to bring? Is Noah just going to walk through life without sinning? You just need to jump a couple of verses ahead and you'll see that he sins majorly. So there's still an inherent problem in our hearts. But the God who initiated this story, who's at the center of this flood story, is the one who brings it to conclusion with this beautiful picture, this sign of what is in his heart. A rainbow as a sign of his covenantal promise never to destroy human life by flood. The word for rainbow... Hands up if you like a rainbow. Okay, guys? Mm. Some of the guys aren't so sure. I like a rainbow. Without destroying your picture of a rainbow, there's something actually deeper in this, okay? The word in the original in Hebrew carries with it the connotation of a bow, as in an arrow and bow, a weapon of war. And I think God is saying as this story ends and as we finish this morning that he is turning his bow away from the earth. He could bring his bow and his arrows to destroy us. He turns it away. You notice the shape of the bow? It's heavenward and earth will be spared and humanity will not be destroyed by a flood And I will put my bow, God says, in the sky. And never again will I destroy humanity through a flood. Let's apply this to our lives. And I know that floods have happened since Genesis 6, 3 to 9, haven't they? Tsunamis. You and I know what it is in life, don't we? When we go through our own flood and just things crash in and it seems like we're drowning. I want you to understand that when you as a follower of Christ are going through the flood, that God's bow is turned away from you, you're not being judged. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? And my heart reaction still after all these years is when things are tough and going, God, why are you punishing me? God says, I'm not punishing you. My bow's turned away. The punishment you deserve fell in Jesus. And I need to see the rainbow this morning in my life. And maybe you do as well. I sat in church a couple of Sundays ago and I'll not embarrass the person because she's here and 
the person turned to me and said, I want to read a verse with you. She wasn't aware of my circumstances, my family's circumstances, of the flood that we were facing. And she turned to us and she said, and she said to me, here's a verse from Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Do you hear that this morning? See the rainbow. You're redeemed. And the flood will not, the waters will not take you out. You'll go through them. They will not sweep over you. I finished with a story from Scotland. Anybody from Scotland here this morning? <laughs> Come on. Brave heart. George was a Scottish guy. I think he studied in Glasgow, lived in Edinburgh. Good choice. He was also a Christian. And it was the eve of his sister's wedding. And as the family prepared and as there was great celebration and hope and everyone was excited about the wedding that was to come the next day, George was found in a room on his own. His heart was broken. He had, several years before this, been engaged to a girl. And during their engagement and that promise of marriage, he had... He began to go blind and eventually lost his sight and his fiancée just found that too hard and they, she broke the engagement. And when he went blind, his sister took him and cared for him and looked after him, loved him. And he's now sitting on the eve of his sister's wedding and he's knowing that in his heart there's a broken promise and a hurt and a loneliness. And the sister who has loved him and cared for him is soon to be married to someone else, and rightly so, but it weighs on his heart. And he sat down, and in five minutes, so he says, he wrote these following lines. They're from another century. They're old English. They're poetic. When you listen to them, as he wrote, thinking of the covenant of the rainbow, of the hurt in his life, of the loneliness and the feeling of not being loved. George wrote, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be.
Amen. I trace the rainbow through the rain. And I feel the promise is not vain. That the morn, morning will tearless be. I want to invite the guys up as they lead us and we respond in song. We've looked at this incredible story of the flood. We've got glimpses into the heart of God. We've seen his pain, felt his pain. We've seen his justice. Sin must be punished. We've got a glimpse of grace in the life of Noah. And we've marveled at the God of covenantal love and the sign of the rainbow. As we finish and as these guys lead us, can I throw a question out? Okay, you with me? Could you put your hand up? You know, even if it's just, but preferably, if anything that God has said this morning has touched your heart, you do that? Would you do me the favor of standing? Is that okay? I'm not excluding people who haven't put their hand up. You have been touched too. And I just want you people who have to stand. Please, those of you sitting, you too have responded. I trust. That's fine. We don't have to stand. We don't have to put our hand up. I want to say to you this morning that if you are not yet in Christ, like in the ark, then you need to be. And I want to lead you in prayer that you will come to Christ today. Can I do that with you? Would you do that as I pray for you? And I want you also as a follower of Christ. Tim Keller says, we as followers of Christ, we also need to go back to the ark and grasp this greatness of God and the covenant that he's established and the security we have and the hope we have and the justice of God on our side. We need to hold on to that as well. I'm going to pray. Would you close your eyes and just remain in that attitude for the next minute or two? I want to lead you this morning. If you're not yet sure that you are in Christ, my heart's desire, God's heart desire is that you are in Christ and safe from divine judgment. Please echo in your heart your version of what I might say. God, I stand before you. You see my heart. I give up on pretending. God, I'm sorry. Sin is destroying me. God, would you save me in Jesus' name? 
God, I cry to you. Show me grace today because of your glorious son, Jesus. This is my prayer. God, be gracious. Hear me, I pray. Amen. Please keep your eyes closed, all of us. And if anyone responded in any way to that prayer, just connecting to Christ, would you just put your hand up so I can acknowledge that and perhaps speak to you at the end? It's fine. And if you have, please just come and speak to me at the end. I'd I'd love to chat to you. And I want to lead the rest of you good guys in prayer as well. You who are followers of Jesus. Lord God, we are here this morning only by your grace. God, thank you that you've never walked out on us. We're sorry for the times when we've done that in you. God, some of our hearts are hurting this morning because of injustice. Holy Spirit, put your truth in our hearts. The truth of a covenant that you will never, ever forget. God, help us trace in the darkness of our circumstances Help us trace the rainbow and know that your promises are not in vain. And God, as we find your grace like a fresh cup of water this morning, we drink deeply. Spirit, pour your grace into our hearts and send us out as grace-filled people who, like Noah, will walk with you. God, we worship you. You're amazing. This is our prayer in all of its variations offered in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand and these guys will lead us.